0: Our scripture passage for this morning comes from the gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, as we read verses 21 to 35. Hear now the word of God. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times. until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he lay its eternal truths on our hearts this morning. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you are the master of forgiveness. You who forgave your enemies, you who have forgiven us, would you teach us from your word how you would have us put these things into action? We ask it in your very name by which we can approach you. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. It's, it's been a while since we were in Matthew's gospel. The last time that we were in Matthew's gospel, we saw that Jesus cares how we handle situations where another believer has sinned against us. And uh, now Peter follows this up by asking Jesus a related question. This is not some separate issue. This is related directly to the last question. The question of forgiving. The question of reconciling with somebody else. Somebody that we have trouble with. And so Peter follows that discussion of forgiveness that discussion of confrontation by asking Jesus a related question he says okay let's say we gain our brother let's say we go to him uh, we reconcile forgiveness takes place he listens to us he repents as Jesus said in the last section we have regained our brother let's say that happens but now Jesus wants to know in verse 21 Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. So in other words, he's asking, Lord, what if this person gets forgiveness from me and decides to take advantage? What if that person just can't stop? At, at, what, point, at what point am I the fool for forgiving them over and over again? Are there meant to be limits To forgiveness. Where do I get to draw the line? Where do I get to say enough is enough? You have sinned against me time and time and time again. Where is the line? And the fact that Peter asks that question. Is means that Peter is taking seriously what's going on here. Peter is recognizing something. When we forgive we are not talking about an easy thing. In fact there's an argument to be made that anyone who, who speaks lightly of forgiveness just doesn't understand what they're talking about. If they think that that forgiveness is an easy thing or a light thing, then either they don't realize what it means to be forgiven, or at least they don't understand what it's really like to be sinned against. And so today, let's let's do what Peter does. Let's take seriously forgiveness by looking at what Jesus says. And I want us to see four commands that Jesus actually is giving here in this passage, in his answer to Peter. The first is this. He says to forgive. Two, he says, forgive frequently. Three, Jesus says, forgive greatly. And four, Jesus says, forgive freely. First, we have the very simple command to forgive. Um, Surely we all use the word forgiveness. We've used it before. It's one of those words I think we take for granted. Um, Forgive is one of those words that we use without, I think thinking very deeply about what we mean by it. Uh, Forgive is what we do when we want to patch things up with someone, right? Uh, Forgive is what we need from someone when they're angry with us. Um, Forgive is something that we're supposed to do when someone asks us to do it. But what are we actually talking about when we talk about forgiveness? You know, this passage actually gives us an excellent, excellent insight into forgiveness and what it means. Um, Look at the king in this story. The king settles these accounts here. And in verse 23, it says that the king had the man brought to him. In other words, in other words, he knows what the debt is. He knows what is owed. There is clarity in terms of what the debt is. And so that means that first forgiveness begins with telling the truth. Forgiveness means telling the truth. We need to agree on what has actually taken place, what has been done wrong, what needs to be forgiven. Um, The reason forgiveness is even necessary is this issue. So what is the issue and what is the truth? Uh, Second, notice that the king took pity on the man in verse 27. In other words, forgiveness involves some understanding of the person who did this. Um, Third, verse 27 says that the king canceled or forgave the debt. And so what this means is that instead of punishing or making the guilty person suffer in forgiveness, we refuse to do it. We refuse to require this person to be punished or require this person to suffer. And then finally, the story tells us in verse 27 that the king let the man go. He let the man go. The man no longer owed the debt and he was free to go. Partly what this means is that the relationship between the debtor and the creditor is made whole again in forgiveness. In other words, you don't owe me anymore. You don't owe me anymore. This is a good, healthy picture of forgiveness. Because if if you piece together everything that we actually see in this story Jesus is telling, you find out that forgiveness means taking seriously what was done wrong. Identifying the person who did the wrong, releasing the person who did the wrong, and and then being reconciled to the person. That's what forgiveness entails according to this passage, according to this story with the king. Um, I thought a lot about this, and, and in the end, I think my favorite definition of forgiveness is actually... I'm not going to say it's a fairly recent one, but I found it recently and it was in Tim Keller's last book that he wrote before he died. If you guys remember, Tim Keller passed away last year and the last book that he wrote was the book Forgive. And in that book, here's his definition of forgiveness. He says this forgiveness is a form of voluntary suffering. Forgiveness is a form of voluntary suffering in forgiving. Rather than retaliating, you make the choice to bear the cost. The cost of the wrong done moves from the perpetrator to you and you bear it. So so that's what he's saying. Forgiveness is a form of voluntary suffering in which we choose to suffer instead of making the other person suffer. That's what forgiveness is. And the point of this story that Jesus tells here is not just for us to understand some abstract notion of what forgiveness is, but to understand the, the horizontal aspect of forgiveness. It's not just that God forgives us. It's not just that we have a relationship with a superior and we owe him a debt, but it's that he's forgiven us in the vertical And that means we are supposed to forgive in the horizontal. This is actually a story meant to provoke us to forgive each other, meant to forgive each other. We are people who have been shown grace. That's us in the story, right? We're the person in the story who's been forgiven billions in the story. Uh, We are under obligation. We are supposed to forgive. And we talked, uh, and I think it was November, we talked about the fact that we are under obligation to pursue the person who has sinned against us and to pursue that restoration with that person. But here Jesus helps us understand the depth of what that actually involves for us to be reconciled to this brother or to this sister who has sinned against us, which is a serious thing. We actually have to practice forgiveness. It means we actually have to do it. It's not something that just happens. Forgiveness isn't something that exists out there that just takes place. It's something we have to practice. It's something that takes place in our lives. It's something that we do. We forgive. But Peter's question is not actually about what forgiveness is. Instead, Peter basically is saying, sure, we are supposed to forgive. He takes forgiveness for granted, But how are we supposed to forgive? How are we supposed to forgive? That's Peter's question. So second, then, if we keep going into the passage, if we look at verse 21, we learn from this passage that we should forgive frequently. I mean, think of the think of the way that Peter actually asked this question. He says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? You just just think about this. Peter's question betrays it betrays an assumption. And the assumption that Peter has is that there might be some hypothetical point at which God says, OK, you've done enough. You've forgiven enough. You've forgiven and forgiven. And so now you can stop. Peter just wants to know where that line is. He assumes the line is there. He just wants to know where the line is. He wants to know how far out it is. How generous are we supposed to be? How forgiving are we supposed to be? Now, the question for Peter is not whether there's a time when forgiveness stops, but when that time is. And you can even imagine, right, if you put yourself in Peter's shoes, we were reading this together as a family last night. It's sort of in, in anticipation of this morning. And and one of the things that we saw, at least as a family, in our, our family devotions was that, Peter thinks this is a generous number. You know, we were thinking about the number of times that we've been sinned against and had to forgive that sin. And, you know, it it was interesting. Maybe some of you can think of times that you've had to forgive somebody over and over and over again. But if you really thought about the, the, the time you've been asked to forgive more than any other time, numerically, none of us got to seven Uh, I don't know if any of you have, can think of a situation where you've forgiven somebody more than seven times for something. But usually we move on and sin in some other way, right? (laughs) We don't usually repeat the same sin. Often we do. but, But usually when someone sins against us, it happens a few times. But I don't know that I can think of a time where I felt like somebody sinned against me seven times. So Peter, I think, is being very... Exaggerated here. Peter thinks that he's being generous. He thinks he might even be upset excessive, but Jesus responds in verse 22. And he says, take that exaggerated number and make it way bigger. Right. He says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And then he follows it up with a parable. And the parable is the parable with the king and the servant that we talked about already. But remember this. Forgiveness is a form of voluntary suffering in which we take the cost upon ourselves. Instead of making the other person pay, we pay, right? We pay. We suffer instead of them. And, and, and it, it sounds easy in the abstract and it's very difficult in real practice, right? This person sins. And then, they, and then we, 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 we say, I can do this. I can forgive. I will not hold this against them anymore, And we've worked it out and we have, we've put it behind us and we've taken a deep breath and we move forward and they do it again. And then just when we think we're able to forgive them for that betrayal, it happens again. And then that person comes and they ask forgiveness again. And by then it starts to feel like perhaps maybe I'm a fool. We start to think that maybe I'm a fool. Um... There's a Japanese novelist named Shosaku Endo, and he wrote a book called Silence. And the book Silence takes place in the 1600s, and the story is about these Portuguese missionaries who go to Japan. And it's a very hostile Japan, uh, probably the most hostile place in the entire world. And the missionaries arrive, and they do find that there are Christians there. It's a small but vibrant Christian community, but they're also under intense persecution. And there is this character in the novel. His name is Kichihiro. And Kichihiro is a really pathetic figure because even though he's a believer, he is also a coward. And so every time persecution comes, Kichihiro rolls over and he immediately denounces Christ and he betrays the main character whose name is Rodriguez and he constantly betrays Rodriguez into the hands of the Japanese in the story. It happens so many times that, and it's been so long since I read it, I couldn't remember how many times he betrays Rodriguez, but it is a large number of times that he betrays him. And then as soon as the persecution goes away, Kichihiro returns and he comes back and he, he says to Rodriguez, I'm sorry I betrayed you. Will you forgive me? Give me, give me absolution. Give me forgiveness. Give me forgiveness. And this happens over and over again in the novel. Over and over, Kichihiro betrays and over and over he begs forgiveness again. And as the reader, one of the things about a novel is that you put yourself in another person's shoes as you're reading a novel. And and as you're as the reader, you are reading this, and you know that that this person is you're just losing patience with Kichihiro. By the end of the book, you are you've just had it with Kichihiro, and you find yourself wondering, would I actually forgive this guy? After being betrayed over and over and over again, his his betrayal is so predictable, but it's more predictable that he's going to come back. After a while in the book, you start to say, I bet he's going to come back. And then sure enough, he comes back and it becomes this incredible challenge. You can see it for Kitche Hero to receive forgiveness. Seventy seven times, Jesus says Jesus seems to be saying something that some of you may have experienced yourselves, that in practice, forgiving another person is hard and it takes a lot of time. Forgiveness can be quick. It can be quick. Um, children on the playground will, will get into fights and you know how it is when they get into a fight and the parents come over and they say, ask him to forgive you. Tell him you're Sorry. And then they do it and they make up and within 10 seconds, they are running on the playground. They have forgotten everything that's happened and everybody is moving forward as if nothing went wrong. But sometimes forgiveness is a long process. You know this if you've been incredibly hurt by someone. in, In practice, what we have learned is that while we forgive, the work of forgiveness is often a process of repetition. It's something that needs to be done over and over and over again. Seventy-seven times, Jesus says. Um, there's a writer named Dan Hamilton, and he wrote an essay on forgiveness. And in the course of this essay, he recounts how he and a, a woman he was engaged to be married to broke up. And they both had to practice this forgiveness that we're talking about. And I just want to quote from his experience because it might, you might be able to relate to it on some level. He says, once upon a time, I was engaged to a young woman who changed her mind. I forgave her, but only in small sums over a year. Uh, Those deposits, those sums were made whenever I spoke to her and refrained from rehashing the past. Done whenever I saw her with another man. Done when I had to renounce jealousy and self-pity. When I prayed for her as she moved into other relationships. Done when I praised her and spoke of her value. Even though I wanted to slice away at her reputation. Those were the payments, but she never saw them, and her own payments were unseen by me. But I do know that she forgave me. Forgiveness is more than a matter of refusing to hate someone. It is a matter of choosing to demonstrate love and acceptance to the offender. Forgiveness is to deal with our emotions by denying ourselves the dark pleasures of venting them or fondling them in the mind. Pain is the consequence of sin. There is no easy way to deal with it. Wood, nails, and pain are the currency of forgiveness, the love that heals. Now here, think of this. We're talking about the human side of forgiveness. right? We're not talking about about divine forgiveness. We're not talking about the the, the forgiveness that God gives to us. Uh, For God, when he forgives us, he forgives us. But when we put forgiveness into practice, it is not always an instantaneous thing. And I think some of you know that very well. Um, The practice of forgiveness from our perspective is hard and long. And especially when it deals with real hurt, it has to be repeated over and over and over again. I forgive you. I forgive you. Here's an important point. Jesus does not attach a numerical limit to our forgiveness. He doesn't call us to forgive a set number of times. This number of 77 is meant to sound absurd. The sort of thing where you could not possibly actually keep track once you got to 77. Right, Because the point is, yeah, you just keep forgiving even when it hurts. In fact, that's what forgiveness is. That's what forgiveness does. It hurts. That is the cost of forgiveness. It's why not everybody does it. Forgiveness is is painful. If forgiveness was easy, then it wouldn't be costly. And if forgiveness was easy, then the cross would have been an easy thing. You see, our God knows that forgiveness is hard and costly. We only have to look at the cross to know that's the case. The reality is we serve a God who forgives us 70 times seven. Doesn't he? 77 times. In fact, Christians, if we were each to list the number of sins in our life for which God has forgiven us, we would be at once disturbed and also amazed how much larger the number is than just 77. In fact, here's another story from last night. We did some math. We don't usually do math for fun in our house, uh, but we did some math. And I asked my kids, hypothetically, how many sins do you think somebody commits on average every day? And we came up with 10. 10. I think 10 is actually a very lowball number, but we said, okay, let's take that 10. And then how many days a week are we alive? Seven. All right. 10 times seven. And then we multiply that number times how many weeks there are in a year. And then I said, how long do you hope that you'll live? And the kid said 80. And so uh, I thought, well, some of us will live longer than 80 and some of us may not live as long as 80, but let's just say we live to 80 years old and we commit 10 sins per day. That ends up being 263,000 sins. And again, I still think that's crazy low, but it just you know, imagine, Jesus, for God forgives us. This is the practice of God, to forgive us far more than 77 times. He forgives us infinite value of sin. Jesus expects us as forgiven people to disturb and amaze those that we forgive. We should forgive frequently, says Jesus. Now, third, we learn in this passage that we should forgive greatly. You know, if the last point seemed hard, I think this is harder because this is actually going to be the hardest and the weightiest thing that we consider this morning. Because when we are told to forgive greatly, we are not talking about simple slights, light offenses. We're not talking about bumping into someone in the hallway, right? We are talking about the truly hard things to forgive. Sometimes even small things are actually hard to forgive. We can be very petty, right? Sometimes the smallest slights end up offending us more than the big slights. Uh, We can hold on to small things and nurse them for a long time. So it doesn't even have to be a big sin that's hard to forgive. Sometimes it's little stupid things that can be hard for us to let go of. But, you know, think about how hard it is to forgive truly horrible things. Deep things. I suspect that most of us can think of some deep sin that's been committed to us against us in our life. The sort of thing that sticks with you. The sort of thing that after 20, 30 years, you still remember. Deep hurts, right? The sort of things you never forget. And I think most of you don't have to imagine. It doesn't have to be a hypothetical. Um, Many of you have been hurt like that. And that person may have come to you seeking forgiveness. And you may... Have even granted it. But now you live with this tension because there is the forgiveness that was requested. And there is the way that you still feel about what happened. Of all the things that Jesus has to say, this is probably the hardest for us to really live with, right? We, we love the idea of forgiveness until it comes time for us to do the forgiving. And we love the idea of forgiveness until it ends up being a sin that is truly horrible, Look at, <clears throat> look how this comes about. Jesus tells this parable. And in the parable, this fellow is forgiven a debt of 10,000 talents. Now, a talent was about as much weight as a soldier could carry on his back. So maybe 100 pounds of gold. And he's given, he's forgiven, uh, he's forgiven 10,000 of those 100 pound gunny sacks that a soldier carries of gold on his back. All right, so Jesus is using a ridiculous number here. So depending on your math, right, Jesus is talking about being forgiven billions of dollars in our own currency. Um, The point so far in the story for Peter is to learn that you, Peter, have been forgiven billions by the father. Right? He's trying to teach him how to forgive and how to forgive frequently. And so he tells him what he's been forgiven. He says, you, Christian, have had the weight of the world lifted off of you by God's grace. You have had a planetary weight of forgiveness lifted off of you by God in Christ. God has been gracious to you. If you've turned to Jesus, you have peace with God. And even 10,000 talents is really an understatement of what you've been forgiven. So the expectation is that we should also forgive. Now, here's what's interesting. Our obligation to forgive is incredibly huge because of how we've been forgiven, right? But in the story, what makes the sermon so, servant so pathetic is that he won't even forgive a little. He's such a penny pincher. He wants every penny that he's owed. Right. You look at verse 28, the forgiven man throws his fellow in prison who owed owed almost nothing by comparison. Here's what we have to acknowledge. The reason forgiveness is hard in practice is because, strictly speaking, it would be righteous and just to refuse to forgive. The amount is actually owed. It is not an imaginary sum. It is hard to forgive but it's actually right in one sense not to forgive because it's actually owed. Because when we forgive, we're letting something go that actually deserves a response, strictly speaking. Right? If, you're, if you're a kid who who's somebody has hit you on the playground, that kid who hit you on the playground actually should answer for what they did. They shouldn't get away with it. They shouldn't go around hitting other kids, right? If you're an adult and someone takes something from you, Something important. They deserve justice too. If someone steals from you, they should return it, right? Um, When Dylan Roof killed innocent African American brothers and sisters in the downstairs Bible study at Christ Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina, one of the biggest headlines was the forgiveness that was offered to Dylan Roof by the families of the victims. This forgiveness was very well publicized. And a lot of people extolled this. A lot of people were blown away by the grace and the, the kindness and the generosity of these people. But I remember I remember there was some outrage from people. Um, one writer, Stacey Patton, in the Washington Post said that this forgiveness was actually immoral. She said it was immoral for these people to forgive Dylan Roof because she said... The forgiveness that they offered to Dylan Roof enabled denial about the harm that was done by whites against blacks in this country. And Stacey Patton argued that uh, addressing the black community specifically, she said, our constant forgiveness only perpetuates the cycle of attacks and abuse. So think of what Stacey Patton is saying in this op-ed. She is arguing a larger problem some see with forgiveness. It goes something like this. If you forgive then you aren't addressing the problem. If you, if you forgive, then you're not stopping the injustice. If you forgive, you're actually encouraging the evil to happen again. That's what Stacey Patton is arguing. If you forgive, the perpetrator won't be held accountable. Some people even argued that a history of forgiveness was a reason this horrible evil was able to take place at all. This is actually recognizing something. Part of the reason why forgiveness is hard and scandalous to the watching world is that deep down we fear that if we don't take what is owed, then it will never be paid. That's the fear. We have to extract the payment. We have to extract the payment. we can't leave this to God, it's too important for us to leave to God. We have to do it for ourselves. And that's the thing about forgiveness. The debt is actually real. The dead is not imaginary. The hurt that has been done is not a fantasy. The dead is real. The evil is real. But Jesus says that the Christian of all people is someone who has experienced incredible grace and so can and must extend incredible grace. Grace that would not be possible if we had not experienced it ourselves. We need to be alarmed by how big our sins really are in God's eyes. I'm afraid that in our eyes, everyone else's sin is gigantic. And in our own eyes, our sins are actually quite small. We think we have the small sins. But we need to even see our smallest sins as cosmic treason and a great offense in the eyes of a holy God. Once we do that, we will see the greatness of the forgiveness that we have in Jesus. If we don't see our sin as great, if we do not see our sin as offensive, even our small sins, our so-called small sins, if we do not see the heinousness of our small sins, then we will not see the greatness of the forgiveness that Jesus offers. We will think our obligation then also is tiny. We will think, well, we've been forgiven very little. This person actually is quite bad. I don't owe forgiveness to this person. I've forgiven before, but I've never been forgiven this much. When we see the truth, we will be reflexive forgivers. The forgiven person has a reflex to forgive because we think to ourselves, how can I hold a comparatively smaller sin against someone when I've been forgiven my billions? There is is hundreds. Theirs is thousands. That, that's the question that's meant to hang before our eyes when we're tempted to unforgiveness. How can I, who am sinful, withhold something when God, who is holy, would not? Am I more holy than God? Many of us may think that we are. We wouldn't say it. But when you see how generously we forgive, you see that it's actually true. See, Jesus is telling us not only to forgive, but he's telling us to forgive frequently and he's telling us to forgive greatly. Fourth and finally, Jesus tells us that we must also forgive freely. We must forgive from the heart. He says it right there in verse 35. He says, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. We've talked about, The obligation to forgive. You know, if you have experienced the grace of God, then you have an obligation to forgive. But notice here that there's something more to it. It's the way we should forgive. Or maybe we could put it this way. It's the place we should forgive from. Where does forgiveness come from within us? When we offer forgiveness, Jesus says it comes from the same place sin comes from. Right. He's said earlier that sins come from the heart. And he says here that forgiveness comes from the same location. It's an incredible challenge, right? We might find ourselves able to say the words, I forgive. We can say it. It's much more difficult for the heart to say, I forgive. You know, I mentioned that Shosaku Endo novel, Silence, earlier. And maybe you remember this missionary, Rodriguez. He's been betrayed over and over again by Kichihiro. And then finally, near the end of the novel, Kichihiro betrays Father Rodriguez for what will be the last time. I'm spoiling the novel, sorry. And even as Rodriguez is rotting in a a Japanese prison cell, Kichihiro, his betrayer, comes to the prison and Kichihiro begs for forgiveness once again. And he says to Rodriguez, he says, I was born weak. One who's weak at heart cannot die a martyr. What am I to do? Why was I born in this world at all? And then the narrator goes on. The voice broke off like a fading of the breeze. And then it could be heard far in the distance. Suddenly, before the priest's eyes, there floated the vision of Kichihiro, as he had been when he returned to Gotō, the popular man among his fellow Christians. If there had been no persecution, this fellow would have undoubtedly lived out his life as a happy, good-humored Christian man. Why was I born into the world? Why? Why? The priest thrust his fingers into his ears to shut out that voice that was like the whining of a dog. Yes, he had whispered the words of absolution to Kichihiro, but this prayer had not come from the depths of his heart. He had simply recited the words out of a sense of priestly duty. That was why they still lay heavy on his tongue, like the residue of some bitter food. This is the response of Rodriguez. He forgives, but not from the heart. Which of us can't relate on some level to the forgiveness we know we're supposed to give, but we do not feel it deep in our souls? See, here's the real problem. How do you change the heart so that we're actually willing to forgive from the heart the way Jesus says that we ought to forgive? I can think of no better place to look than the actual character of God. Because when God forgives us, He does it from the heart. We know this a few ways. We know this from the text, right? Because when Jesus says we must forgive from the heart, he is teaching us by implication that God has forgiven from the heart. Uh, But we also see it all over scripture. Think of Luke 15. In Luke 15, you have the story of the lost sheep. And when the shepherd returns with the sheep, he does not just return and dutifully set down the sheep and say, I have reclaimed the sheep and then turn and walk away. Instead, it says, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. He rejoices. We sometimes forget, he could have said it like this. Come and observe a moment of silence with me. The sheep has been retrieved, right? Uh, Very respectful, but no, he doesn't say that. Instead, the shepherd has a big heart toward the sheep that is reclaimed. Um, Think of the father in the parable of the prodigal son, right? He doesn't just receive his son back dutifully and say, uh, as your father, I formally welcome you back to my domicile. I'll let you stay here. Instead, in the story, he embraces his son and he kisses his son and he kills the fatted calf, right? This, This son that took and squandered his inheritance and he welcomes him back and he does it with rejoicing and partying. Does that look like reluctant forgiveness to you? The psalmist in Psalm 85, 86, 5, he pairs together the forgiveness of God and the love of God, right? He doesn't forgive as a formality. He forgives because he loves. Look what he says. You, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love for all who call upon you. He does not forgive reluctantly. The forgiveness comes from the depths it comes from who he is from the heart abounding he says abounding in steadfast love that is not a word of reluctance he forgives because he overflows with love this is where you can find the forgiveness that you are supposed to offer from the heart if god forgives your sins from the heart you can forgive from the heart because you're not more holy than him Forgiveness is not easy. That doesn't mean that it's easy. The struggle is is real. The struggle to forgive from the heart when someone who hurt us asks us to forgive. We may be human and weak and struggle to forgive from the heart as Jesus tells us to. But our model never changes. Our, Our model is the God who never changes. Our Savior, our Lord forgives with a heart that is big and open to us. And importantly, he does it first. He leads the way in forgiveness. He forgives you, Christian, and then he calls you to follow. It can be very hard to forgive um, someone who sins against us. I think part of us fears that if we do forgive, then this will never be made right. We're afraid that if we forgive, this will never be made right. It's like we talked about earlier with the, the columnist who said, well, if this gets forgiven, then this thing will never stop right if we forgive then they'll get away with it they'll do it again they'll do it to me they'll do it to someone else and we're afraid that will happen but but i would say this look at the cross if you are a sinner and I, and and then then and i'm talking to everybody in this room if you are a sinner then you have done wrong and you are in need of forgiveness if you're ever to be restored to god there's no forgiveness for any of us except at the cross And this means that when people sin against us, we never get to look at them and say, Oh, that person's not like me. They're way worse than me. We're all sinners. All of us need forgiveness. All of us need the cross. Our need of the cross means that we are really like this person who has sinned against us. We are more like them than we're not. We stand needy at the foot of the very same cross. We'll be different in many respects. They may have done something we didn't do. They may have done something we can't imagine a person doing. We can't. They may have done something that we can't imagine somebody actually doing and being forgiven for. You can think of really, really, really horrible sins. And we might say to ourselves, well, I've never thought of doing that and I've never wanted to do that. They may have done something truly heinous, and yet all of us stand shoulder to shoulder in need of God's forgiveness still. The Bible reminds us of this. It is a precious truth. When I say precious truth, I don't just mean, well, preachers are supposed to say this is precious. It is a precious truth. Our need for justice to be done is always answered by God. It is always answered by God. It is either answered at the cross of Christ or, as horrifying as it is to say, it is answered in the eternity of hell. Either this person turns and repents and becomes our brother or else this person refuses to repent and answers directly to God at the judgment. Now the thought of hell is is terrible. It's one of the things that drives us in our evangelism. It's one of the things that drives us to speak to people as we're out and about. But hell is the only truth we have that guarantees that our fear that sin will never be unanswered will never come true the christian knows because of god's word there is no injustice in this life that ever goes unanswered we never ever have to be afraid that forgiveness offered will be will mean wasted or ignored or disregarded justice that's why paul says in romans 12:19 beloved never avenge yourselves but leave it to the wrath of god the article by stacy patton if i could put it this way if i could be very critical she does not want us to leave it to the wrath of God. It is the wrath of man that makes true justice. Leave it to the wrath of God, Paul says. It is wrong for you to worry about whether this sin will happen again when you forgive. Right? That's not your business. That is God's business, says Paul. Your job is not to extract obedience. God will ensure that justice is done, not you. Paul has already told us to forgive one another. So, so Paul is not saying that we should hope that God destroys this person. But really he's saying our heart has to be genuine and open and glad to forgive. remembering that God will always do what is right. Either his son has dealt with it at the cross or this person will answer directly for his or her sins. But in either case, God can be trusted with this. We can trust him with this. Up to this point, we've been talking about horizontal forgiveness. We've been talking about the forgiveness between us and other people. And that's what Jesus is talking about in this passage. That's what this passage is about. But I hope you've seen that, that we can't avoid talking about the forgiveness of God in this whole equation. I mean, it's been peppered throughout already. And that's because ultimately we can't talk about forgiving others if we've not been forgiven by God. This is the moment where I really must say this, and it's so much more fundamental than the psychological good that's found in forgiving other people. It's more important than the social good that's found in people forgiving one another. At our very core, our greatest need that we have as people who have sinned is for us To know peace with God and to know his forgiveness for all the wrongs that we really have done. Not just against others, but against our very creator who made us for more than just to live for ourselves. And that means to turn, to repent, to admit our sin. If you don't do this, you will never be able to forgive others when they wrong you. Because you've never been forgiven. You'll be able to forgive others in a superficial sense because you want the psychological good and the, 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 the freedom of feeling of freedom that comes from letting sins go and letting others will go free. But you will not be able to forgive from the heart because you have been forgiven. And here's what will happen. You may forgive, but you'll be self-righteous about it. You'll be too convinced of your own goodness. You'll be too convinced of your own rightness. If you can't go to God and tell him, I've been wrong, I sinned against you, I'm wrong. If you can't do that, then when someone comes to you and asks you to forgive them, you will either try to ignore the sin and not take it seriously, or you will call that forgiveness, and you'll call that forgiveness, or else you'll refuse to forgive because it asks too much suffering of you. You'll either try to ignore the sin, which is not the same thing as forgiveness, or else you will Refuse to forgive because it asks too much suffering from you. Only by having Jesus take your sin seriously and still welcome you into his kingdom will you be able to take that other person's sin seriously and welcome, welcome them back into relationship with you and know that the sin has actually been answered and actually been dealt with by God. That is why I have to say this as we close, that if you haven't, if you haven't repented of your sins for yourself— And sought forgiveness in the Lord Jesus. Or if you need to come to him. Confessing your sins again. Please know this. He will receive you gladly. He will receive you from the heart. He will not receive you reluctantly. He will not receive you on a technicality. Instead he will embrace you. Like a father embraces his child. He will rejoice over you. Like a son or a daughter. He'll sing over you. Like you are his child. Because it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you who have been so gracious to us, would you be at work shaping us and making us willing and glad to show the same grace and forgiveness to others. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.